Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Dr. Jeff Smart is the chairman and founder of GH Smart. Founded in 1995, GH Smart helps Fortune 500 CEOs and boards, billionaire entrepreneurs, and heads of state achieve their goals through hiring, developing, and leading talented teams. They serve clients globally from 12 offices in North America and Europe. For three consecutive years, Forbes named the firm the best management consulting firm in its industry segment. The firm is the subject of two Harvard Business School cases, and its credo is, you're going to love this, we exist to help leaders amplify their positive impact on the world. Jeff and the firm have published three best-selling books. Who, a method for hiring, is a New York Times bestseller and is currently ranked number one on Amazon.com on the topic of hiring talented teams. A number of other bestsellers include Top Grading and The Power Score. Jeff has personally advised four sitting U.S. governors, a U.S. senator, White House fellows, world leaders in education, defense, and public health, and the president of the World Bank. Now, I met Jeff over a decade ago, and I've been following his work since. What most impresses me about his work is that it is just rooted in deep, broad research. He's a former student and mentee of Peter Drucker and has spent more time than almost anyone else I know understanding the psychological science behind effective hiring and team building. His work is also actionable and compelling. In this podcast, he shares what Peter Drucker really meant by culture eat strategy for breakfast. He shares insights from a decades-long study into hiring practices, including the big reason why the success rate in hiring is only 50% and the four practices you can put in place to raise that success rate to 90%. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Smart. Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us. It's great to have you. Such a pleasure, Kyan. So I would like the audience to get to know you a little bit personally first. So if you could complete the sentence for me, if you really know me, you know that. If you really know me, you know that I have nine children. What? Yes, seven came through a merger of equals. <laughs> <laughs> Brady and Bunch. Just two years ago, my wife Lauren and I decided to have a child and we just naturally happen to have two still ah. with two baby girl twins, twins who are great. And then seven other kids, the age range of the full lot is two years old to 21. So that's something a little different. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Thanks. That's so cool. That must be fun being in a home. Family is important and the more the merrier. Love it. Love it. So I asked this question of all guests. I always get a different answer. So whatever answer you give me is fair. What is your definition of strategy? Okay, so my definition of strategy is that strategy is simply a plan to accomplish a result. Now, I think the two most important components of it are different from what many of your guests might think or talk about, because I'm a human capital guy, right? So I'm, other than having nine kids, known for being a author and researcher and consultant and entrepreneur focused on helping CEOs and investors hire and develop talented teams. So I'm a talent guy. And so here's my addendum to the what strategy thing. To me, strategy is really made possible by two things. One is the allocation of talent and two is the allocation of capital to strategic priorities. So framework-wise, I'm a big fan of if you have a super talented team and your execution is amazing, you're going to be in much better strategic shape than if you have a small, weak team and big ideas and delusions of grandeur for the future. Great. Okay. 
So I've heard that you studied with Peter Drucker. That is true. He was a mentor and a professor during grad school. Strategists admire him. Organizational people admire him. Marketers admire him. Leader people admire him. He kind of like sees the whole spectrum. So what did you take away from your experience with him? Yeah, so he gets often quoted as saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And he meant it. I've had people ask me, oh, you studied with Peter Drucker. Did he really mean that? And he did. He talked mostly about how to hire and build just amazingly talented teams. You know, that sort of more talented the team, the more strategic options are available, right? I mean, like Sun Tzu, Art of War. Imagine having some very weak, very small force out on the battlefield. Your strategic options are pretty limited, right? But if you have a giant, talented, well-trained, well-equipped force, your strategic options options are plentiful. So to me, strategy and culture both come from having better talent, more talented, diverse, good-hearted people on your team than the next competitor. That's the work. That's the hard work. Once you have that, oh, sure, let's go international. Let's go digital. Let's smoke this set of competitors. Let's do this, you know, customer segmentation. You can do strategy when you have the right talent and culture. Right. I got you. Yeah. So it starts with your army, building your army. Yes. And then otherwise there's no point in having a strategy. To me, it seems like wishful thinking, right? I was at a seminar once at not the Wharton school where you did your what undergrad and not Columbia, but a different school. And the branding and strategy professor was telling the executive class that I was in that the mark of great strategy and specifically the mark around great brand strategy is the difference between the price a customer is willing to pay for a product and the actual inherent value of it, which I <laughs> couldn't disagree more wow. with. His literal point was the bullshit, <laughs> the brand promise that is not grounded in reality is the mark of great strategy and great brand work. I raised my hand and I said, hey, look, wow, like that's stunning that that's your thesis. What if there was a different idea about what makes great strategy is actually great people making the Apple products, working in the Apple store, the great people, the great talent, the great everyday thousands and millions of behaviors of your team is what creates a great brand. And it's the follow through on the brand promise that I think is only possible with having substantively great stuff to offer customers. I don't believe great strategy or great brand strategy is about the sort of hocus pocus stuff where you're creating an image that is not based on a reality. Yes, that makes absolute sense. So as I said in the introduction, I listed some of the books you've written, your rankings. It seems that although many of your books have been top sellers, the one that you're most well known for is who? So I was wondering, could you just give us a brief overview of it and what the framework is? Yeah, this is fun. So what's the number one topic in business? Well, I don't know. Let's look at the conference board and what they say in their surveys. Let's ask HBS does a big survey of all big company executives and entrepreneurs. And I hope this doesn't timestamp our podcast here, but it is. It is 2022. And the two things on the minds of CEOs are talent and technology. That's it. Those are the top two of 30 things. Technology disruption, technology, cybersecurity, technology, technology, technology. That's on the minds of CEOs and talent. And they kind of jockey for one and two. So talent. Talent. Okay, great. Talent. Why is talent such an important topic on the minds of CEOs? It's because it's hard to hire well and develop talented teams. And so we did the largest study ever done years ago prior to writing the Who book that looked at over 10,000 successful and unsuccessful hires. 
And we found four best practices that if you follow them, you as a hiring manager or CEO or board member or entrepreneur or middle manager or camp counselor manager, anybody, anybody who's managing people, you can increase your hiring success rate from 50% hiring success rate to 90%. So what you're saying 50% right now without this, you're saying like flipping the coin, whether this person is going to fit. Yes. Wow. Cross geographies, cross industries, according to actually, this is Peter Drucker's research from sort of seven years ago to 30 years ago suggested that hiring managers get it wrong half the time. And then we would ask in class, we'd say, what do you mean get it wrong? Like, how do you define get it wrong? And he'd simply say, a year after you hire someone, if you're happy you hired them, you got it right. And if you regret hiring them, you got it wrong. And Okay, fair enough. And so par for the course is 50%. I did a PhD dissertation on how venture capitalists do in picking CEOs and picking management teams. Same thing, 50% hiring mistakes. So then the 10 years of work, and the 10,000 plus cases that we looked at of hiring successes and failures yielded this insight that's like, if you don't do the dumb things, and there are a couple of them, and you do do these four things, you can increase that success rate from 50 to 90%. And in fact, our clients over the last 25 years have for sure, they would claim a 90% hiring success rate, the ones that follow the method, the who approach to hiring. So naturally, my next question is, what, what are those four things? Can you, can you hint <laughs> yeah, at yeah, no, what they are? Yeah. They? Do you want to hear the things to do or the things not to do? Which one's more fun? I'll give you both. Yeah, both. Yeah. I want to hear both. All right. So what not to do that people commonly do? Hiring by asking people hypothetical questions. You're like, Kaihan, how would you handle this situation? How would you resolve a conflict with a peer? That doesn't work. Having done a PhD in psychology and having studied and read thousands of studies, this is 30 years ago now, but there's this thing called the Handbook of Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Wow. You're holding up a huge, giant book. Okay. I've got a giant book here. This is just one of seven volumes, but they have all these studies on like what kind of interview questions actually predict performance and which ones don't. And as it turns out, a half century of scientific research suggests that if you ask people hypothetical questions in interviews, guess what? They give you hypothetical answers. Mm, Of their imagined best self. Yeah. And people kind of know the right answer, but it's like asking someone, how would you lose 10 pounds? Well, Kyan, I would go to a primarily plant-based diet. I would exercise (laughs) five times a week. I would do 10,000 steps a day. That's how I do it. And it's like, well, great. So don't ask hypothetical questions in interviews because you don't get good data. Gut feel is another huge pitfall. People kind of go, oh, I hire with my gut. I know it when I see it. Well, hey, guess what? Whether or not you care about DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or you just care about hiring a great team, hiring with your gut is super biased. And if your gut is all tingly because that person also played college lacrosse and likes the same sports teams, well, guess what? You're not collecting the right data. You're basically just deciding if you like somebody. You can pick your friends with your gut. Like, you're my friend, Kayan. Like, my <clears> gut <throat> says, Kayan's cool. I'd love to hang out more with Kayan. But if I'm trying to hire someone, the whole punchline of this part of the story is don't use these methods that don't work, like hiring with your gut, gut feel, hypothetical interview questions, et cetera. Okay, so by now, most of your audience is like, oh my gosh, that's what we do. What's the alternative? So the alternative is you do four things that are super clear, straightforward. And when I tell you, you'll say, well, that sounds like common sense, but it's uncommon practice because if more people did it, they'd hit the 90%. So you have to do four things for good hiring. Number one is create a scorecard for the role. That's like a set of the criteria that you're using. Not a job 
job description per se, which is a little more of a marketing document on like, you know, here's why the job is cool. But like, hey, what do you need the person to accomplish? What measurable results are you expecting? What are the competencies that your company, your culture, and that role need? And it's one set of criteria that you use for each of your finalist candidates. It's fair, it's unbiased, it's grounded in the actual essence of the job. So that's the scorecard. Just give an example of like one measurable result so we can visualize it. Yeah, sure. You know, gross sales in the Southeast Territory from 10% to 15% annual sales growth in Louisiana and Mississippi. You know, this is a good book. Wasn't mine. We don't even know these folks. Four Disciplines of Execution. 40X. 40X is how to write scorecards. It's great. So I'll give them full credit. From X to Y by a certain date. You know, three strategic partnerships to having seven strategic partnerships generating from 10 million in revenue to increasing it to 15 million annual revenue by 1231, 2023. I think it's a wonderful way to write scorecard outcomes that you're expecting. The second thing you got to do is find talent. Okay, so I get asked this question all the time. You know, like when you're on stage around the world and you just know this question is going to come up, you probably have a few in your arsenal. This one I get always asked, which is, you know, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm supposed to hire the best, but like, how do you find candidates? Like, what's the best way? Do you do it online? Do you hire recruiters? So two best ways to find candidates, according to our giant research. And actually we supersized our research with a specific hundred executive set of interviews to ask them this exact question. Where did you find your best talent? Here's how they did it. We interviewed 20 self-made billionaire entrepreneurs and 80 other people who were like Fortune 500 CEOs and investors and you're real superstars of business. It's like, okay, where do you find your best talent? How'd you find them? And the two most common ways that the very best business leaders found their best talent are number one, employee referral bonuses, paying your employees to find other employees. Now, again, watch the bias. Don't just tell people, oh yeah, present your best friends and stuff, but tell people, hey, like we're looking for highly diverse, talented people. So have at it. And I play this fun auction game with audiences where I say, does anybody offer referral fees? Okay, 20% of any audience, they do the referral fees. 80% don't. So for 80% of your listeners, this is like a new tactic for attracting talent. And I go, okay, how much? 500 bucks? Like a $20 Starbucks gift certificate? Or people go, oh no, 500. Oh, okay, 500. Do I hear a thousand? Oh, I got a couple thousands. Do I hear 2,000? All right, maybe a few 2,000s, maybe some 5,000s, but pretty much one to 5,000 bucks to incent your employees to hire more staff or even VP level people works amazingly well. Paul Tudor Jones, the billionaire investor, entrepreneur in Greenwich, I think, somewhere in your neighborhood, I'm sure, told me for the Who book, and it's in there, so here to give us permission to share the story. At his firm, they decided people who were hired through employee referrals were four times better than those who weren't. And I'm like, four times better, like, prove it. And he said, okay. And his head of people was a McKinsey alum like you. And she said, yeah, we did a 10-year study, and we found that people who came through employee referrals cost half as much cost to hire, even with the referral bounty versus other methods. And the probability that they lasted two years or more was twice as high. So I'm like, okay, I guess using McKinsey fancy math, if something's half as expensive and twice as good, that's like four times better. Let me get out my calculator. Yeah, yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, no brainer. That's the fun no brainer. 80% of your audience should today just start paying employees to refer employees. You're going to have plenty of good talent coming in. And the other cool way to attract senior talent is to create what we call a list of 10 referral sources. So like, let's say you're hiring a CFO for OutThinker and you're like, who are the 10 people I know who probably know 
an A player CFO that I should hire. So this is not about a broadcast out to 10,000 LinkedIn followers or Facebook or does anybody know a CFO? It's like not about scattershot. It's about thinking for a moment, who are the 10 people I know who probably have a pretty good bird's eye view on some serious talent and contacting them and kind of schmoozing them and saying, hey, look, here's who I'm trying to hire. Who do you know? So that's the second insight that these super successful titans of industry have used to find their best talent. Got it. So we've talked about a scorecard. We've talked about sourcing. And then what comes next? Next is the select step. So picture you've done the scorecard, so you know what you're looking for. You've done the sourcing, so now you have candidates. Now what do you do? All right, well, now you got a bunch of candidates. So how do you vet through the pile and arrive at your outcome, which is a great person gets hired? There are a couple different types of interviews to do. The screening interview, which as a hiring manager or a recruiter or HR professional, like they should do the screening interviews. You're trying to find out what people's career goals are and strengths and weaknesses and how their bosses rated their performance. But then there's a bigger interview called the WHO interview. Kind of too long to explain on this call, but just picture if you piece someone's career out into chapters, each job's a chapter. You ask them, what were you hired to do? What did you accomplish? And get data on that. What were some mistakes in that job? Who'd you work with? What will they say about you if we talk to them? And then why'd you leave? Those are after 27 years of doing this, like the five best interview questions on the planet. And if you get that data, you will really have a good picture of what someone's good at and not good at and the degree to which they're likely to be able to do your job. And the last step's just called sell. We're consultants. So of course, everything has to like be cute. There are five F's of selling from our research come through as the things that make people take a job, which is fit. To what extent do I feel like I fit the job? That's the most important one. Fortune, like how much am I expecting to earn? Family, which is like, is my family, broadly speaking, supportive or not supportive of my taking this new job? Freedom, everybody wants freedom these days. And fun, fit, fortune, family, freedom, and fun. Just if you're trying to close your ideal candidate, keep those in mind as a checklist. Love it. Post-pandemic, those seem so clearly at the forefront, but you wrote that and you figured that out long before this. Decade and a half. Wow. <laughs> yes, yes. So I have so many questions for you, but I know we're reaching the top of our time with you. This is so fun, Kyan. Yeah. What did you change your mind about? Mm, what do I change my mind about? Gosh, that's such a hard question. I have changed my mind about the importance of digital technology. So I used to poo-poo it, you know, eh. like for a high-end services business, strategically, let's focus on just the talent and the methods. But I think I was wrong. I think today AI is like a talent amplifier, you know, machine learning and using digital technology to put intelligence and automation into your products and services. So I think that's something I changed my mind on. That's the biggest one. International expansion is something I used to think was a nice to have. But every meaningful company is global today. So I think, yes, I think having a global mindset and being able to be sort of fluent in how business is conducted around the world is something else that I've changed my mind. I used to think it was a nice to have. Now I think it's a must have for success. Yep. Got it. Again, I have so many more questions. I want to end with a question of just how people could connect with you, learn from you. But before I ask it, is there something I didn't ask, something that you wanted to share? Just my gratitude for having this conversation. I appreciate it. It's fun. It's our mission at GH Smart. Our credo says that we exist to help leaders amplify their positive impact on the world. And your OddThinkers podcast helps us do that. So kudos. And I'm not a huge social media person. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I almost never post to Twitter. Our books are, as you mentioned, Who, Power Score, and the CEO next door. They're all either New York Times or Wall Street Journal bestsellers. Who's on hiring? Power scores on leading teams. CEO next door is on how to become and succeed as CEO. 
That's it. Or folks, I don't know, you can just figure out my email address if you've got a really, really burning question on how to hire or develop talented teams in large organizations. And is that what people should be thinking about you for? Because I don't yet understand your business model. As long as we've known each other, they keep throwing you like, hey, here's someone you talk to. You're like, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. I mean, maybe it's because your firm is so in demand. What should people think of you guys for? Think of us for not executive search because we don't do executive search, not strategy because we don't do strategy. If you took kind of Bain and McKinsey and fuse them together with psychologists, that gives you an idea for those are literally the people we hire on our team. So business problem solving, that's like, how should I pick my successor at Megacorp? Or how do I spot diamonds in the rough in my organization to identify and develop talented teams across large companies? If you're an investor, how do I diligence this management team to know whether we can have confidence that they'll deliver the returns that we're expecting? So pretty much any high level leadership problem. And since we don't sell search work since we don't sell other types of stuff. We're pretty unbiased and objective. We have smart people and they work hard and use methods to help you improve your bets on people. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us and for the work that you do, Jeff. Great to have you here. Great pleasure. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers.